Now, come now, Damien. It couldn't have been that bad. Well, just take it from the top and tell me again how it went with your human. It was a disaster, a complete disaster. Remember last week when you encouraged me to isolate my target, Ted Carlisle, from other Christians? You know, make him think he can do life alone and fellowship was just a waste of time? Of course I do. So what happened? Well, it started out okay. The church was having one of those potlucks. You know how lame that is. Excellent. Excellent. Was there bean dip? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> you know, I, everything was working out perfectly. I mean, I had him sit by no one else but Ginny Ledbetter. Oh, I think I know this human. Huh? Kind of annoying, whiny yeah, voice. Always yeah, likes to yeah. talk about her children. Well, this was going perfectly. What happened? So, at the last minute, one of the guys came, came to talk to him about the men's Bible study. They were doing that men's fraternity thing. Horns and hooves. That is bad. Yeah, I'm going crazy. I started whispering to him things like, you know, you're not ready for this. Or, I mean, it's on a work day. You need your rest. But... None of them were working. He was still persistent. I mean, he was hitting off with the guys at the table. He even called up one last Saturday, talked about being accountability partners. You know, this assignment may be tougher than I thought. We may have to pull off a much larger pitchfork for this guy. Really? What do you have in mind? Money. Yeah, see, we demons, we've got an old saying that goes, a fool and his money are soon parted, but with a Christian... It'll take a crowbar. Yeah, you know, let's just see who this Ted really trusts. Does he trust God or his pocketbook? Yeah. yeah I remember learning about that back in the academy. I was taking my class, uh, Advanced Harassment 101. Yeah. Um, so I was, we were doing a unit on, on tithing called the cha-ching thing, you know. It's a classic, you know, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful in its simplicity, because here's the deal. It really has nothing to do with money. It's about trust. See, Ted, he's not going to be able to outgive God, but God wants to know whether Ted trusts him. See, a lot of the Christians, they lose sight of that as soon as they notice their George Washington's leaving the building. <laughs> Tell you what, here. What's this for? I've got some surefire lies that I want you to whisper in Ted's ear. I want you to write them down so you don't forget them, okay? Number one, you earned this money. You deserve it. Number two, tithing, that's an Old Testament thing. And then finally, number three, two words, nest egg. This stuff is great. Yeah, and to seal the deal, uh, next time there's a sermon uh, in his church about money or tithing, make sure you distract him so he completely misses the point. Okay? Yeah, and uh, just make him think that it's another one of these churches trying to get in his wallet. (laughs) That shouldn't be too hard. We uh, devils have paved the way on that one a long time ago. Oh, yeah? How's that? You ever watch late-night televangelists? (laughs) Thanks again, Professor Wormwood. Hope this works out. You know, the boss isn't going to give me very more ch- any more chances. Have no fears. You know, with humans, their money may say, in God we trust, but they'd rather re- leave the details to Merrill Lynch.
Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, Owen oh, Damien. Cha-ching. <laughs> Cha-ching, Professor Wormwood. Cha-ching. We're in the third week of a series talking about this whole thing about what does it mean to be a Christian or how do you define the word Christian. And we discovered a couple of weeks ago that one of the reasons that so often we have trouble with this is because the word Christian is not really defined very well in Scripture. Matter of fact, it's only used three times in all of the New Testament, the word Christian. You're kind of surprised, right? But the issue is, is that the only three times it's used, it's used by outsiders to describe those people who were Christians. You know, it's kind of like a dirty word. And so what do you, how do you define the person who's a follower of Christ. Well, in the New Testament, it's very clear that there was another term that was used consistently to describe those people who were followers of Jesus Christ. And that was the term disciple, the term disciple. And that term is very clearly defined in the New Testament. The first week in this series, we talked about that one of the things that the Bible tells us about a disciple of Christ, a person who follows Christ, is that growing people change. You cannot become a follower of Jesus Christ and remain the same. It's just impossible because God changes your heart. He changes your mind. And one of the things he does change, it says in John 13, is this. It says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, the followers of Christ, if you love one another. That one of the things that changes in our life when we become a follower of Christ is that we begin the process of being allowed to love people in a different way. Then last week we talked about... Uh, another area of what it means to be a disciple, and that is the first step away from God is usually a step away from the people of God. We talked about how uh, we can't live life alone. It's so often we think that once you become a believer, you can, you know, you're just kind of like can be a lone ranger Christian. But the issue is, is you can't do that. God didn't make us that way. And what he did is uh, everybody swerves. And we talked about that last week. If you missed last week, you might want to listen to that message. It's uh, on podcast. And uh, are on CDs out in the lobby and pick those up. But we talked about the issue is that because we swerve in life, that we going down the road and something runs in our path and we swerve, that because of that, we need people to help us to stay on track. And uh, so disciples are people who also uh, do not live life alone. They have people in their life that hold them accountable. They have people in their life that help them to stay, stay on focus. Now, today I want to go a little bit further with this and talk about another descriptor of a disciple. Something that the Bible talks about very clearly that changes in our life when we become a follower of Christ. And that that is, the Bible tells us that a follower of Christ is an incredibly generous person. Incredibly generous person. Over in uh, in 1 Timothy, um, Paul says this. He says to Timothy, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, They're to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And you're going, but I'm not rich. You don't understand. I'm not rich. Well, I've told you this before. If you don't believe it, I'll tell you again. How many? Let's do a survey. Let's see if you're rich or not. Um, How many of you have money right now in your wallet or your purse or your pocket? Anybody here have any of those things? No, I'm not going to ask you for it. Okay, so don't worry. Uh, at least not right now. Okay. You, how many of you? Okay. No, everybody. If you have money in your purse, your wallet, or your pocket, hold your hand up right now. Okay. Pretty much leave them up a minute. Leave them up. How many of you know exactly how much you have in your wallet or your purse or your pocket? Oh, there's more people in this service. There's only one in the last service. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, you know what that means? Let's go a little further. Okay. How many of you have money in a jar or in a piggy bank or in your ashtray? I don't know why they call it an ashtray. Nobody uses it for that anymore. In your car. Anybody have that? Any of those things? None of you know how much that money is. I guarantee it. See, that's what rich people do. Rich people have so much money and they just have it laying around. They don't only have a clue how much they have. That's, that's the definition of a, of a rich person. The thing is, is that, is that so often we don't think we're rich. And, and he says, as Paul goes on to say in Timothy, uh, he says, but to put, he says, do not put your hope in that, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know that in America, if you're not convinced that you're rich already, let me just tell you the statistics about what it means to be wealthy. Did you know that if you have a household income, not just in America, but if you have a household income of $40,000 a year, which I know the house, average household income in Germantown Hills, Metamora, uh, East Peoria, Peoria, uh, Washington. I've done all the statistics. I looked at statistics, and I know the household incomes, average household incomes, okay? It's public knowledge. Um, if you have a household income of more than $40,000 a year, household income, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Four percent. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in the top four percent, I would think I was rich. If you're in the top, if you have make fifty thousand dollars a year or more, you're in the top one percent of wage earners in the world. If you own a car, you're incredibly rich. And most of us have cars and we have our own little houses for our cars. They're called garages, right? And some of us have so much stuff that we have to tell our car, car, I can no longer leave you in my garage because I have so much stuff. I've used my st- the garage for my stuff, so you have to leave it, stay outside. Right? Yeah, I drive by all these people with garages and their cars all parked outside. I'm going like, why do you have a garage? I park my car in my garage, both of our cars, okay? You're rich, but the real problem is you don't feel rich, do you? Some, most of us don't feel rich. Because the reason we don't feel rich is because the only way we, we feel rich is that we have so much money that we think we have so much more than we think we need. You know the only time in your life that you had enough money that you felt rich and felt like you'd have more money than you needed? Was probably the first paycheck you got with your first job. Remember that? You were probably living at home and you had no responsibilities. And you get this paycheck and you're going like, I'm rich. I mean, you probably felt that for 15 minutes until you spent the money, right? And that's the only time we feel rich for some reason in our world. But but what Timothy or what Paul says to Timothy, he says, command those who are rich in this present world. And we're all mostly in that category. Not to be arrogant and to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then he goes on to say this. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. For this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What he's describing here, what Paul is describing here, he says the life that is truly life is the life that God has prepared for you and for me. And it's the life of generosity. It's a life that lives different from the world. It's a life that goes around and then says, this is mine and I'm going to hold on to it. I mean, I'm going to die. It's still going to be in my hand. But the issue is, he says, that's not the way we should be. Imagine, imagine for a moment the difference that we could make as a church 
a church community, if we followed Paul's command, if people saw us as people who were so generous, so willing to share? Well, the early Christians, that was exactly the way that people saw them. We studied the book of Acts all the way through for about six months, and we looked at the early church, and we saw example after example after example of people who lived in the communities. And they weren't necessarily wealthy people. They really were pretty poor people, but they were considered generous people. They were considered people who had an incredible reputation. Their reputation in the community was basically this. Uh, People thought of them as people that they they generally want something for us rather than something from us. And sadly enough, in our, in our day and age, one of the indictments of the church is that people often say, well, the church wants something, you know, from us, you know, not for us. But the issue is whether you're rich or not, that's not the issue this morning. Whether you have a lot of stuff is not the issue this morning. Because the, really what God is talking about here, uh, what it means to be a disciple, has nothing to do with how much you have. The reason to be generous is not because of what the culture might say or might encourage us to be generous for, because so often the culture says, you know, you need to give because you have and there's other people who have not. And that's nothing bad with that, but the issue is that's not what that's not what it was talking about. Jesus says that um, Scripture teaches that we are to be generous out of gratitude. And it's not out of gratitude for all the stuff we have. It's to be out of a different area of gratitude, a different sense of of gratitude. And so what he talks about, and we're going to look at it today, is a passage in Luke chapter 6. And you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there, Luke chapter 6, where he describes, in a sense, a, a radical view of what it means to be, and this, I don't believe it's really radical, I think it's just straightforward, a view of what it means to be a follower of Christ, who, who accepts Christ, who becomes a disciple, and a disciple we talked about a couple of weeks ago is somebody who, who's a follower of Jesus, and they're a follower of Jesus in such a way that they say, Jesus, God, what is the question, the answer, whatever it's going to be that you want me to do is yes. It's yes. A follower emulates and imitates the person who they're trying to follow. That's what a disciple does. And so he began to describe this in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27. He had talked about a bunch of things to his disciples, and here he is once again talking about to his key disciples and some other folks. But this is what he says to them. You've probably heard this before. It says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You're going, what? Jesus often had, that was kind of the response people had lots of times to Jesus. What? Is that the way your kids respond to you sometimes? What? Like you're, like you're alien or something? Well, if you, have, if you don't have teenagers, you don't understand. But uh, if you do, you, you'll totally understand. Uh, but... Um, the second thing he said here is this, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Then he says this, if anyone, someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. And you're going, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, that's not the way you're supposed to live life. But he's saying he wants to change our thinking. We normally say to people, he says, I will help you. I will help someone because they need it or deserve it. That's normally the way we think, right? That I'm going to help somebody because they need it or deserve it. But Jesus says if someone asks you, the question is not do they need it or deserve it. But the question is, it's what he says, it's the next verse in verse 31. And this is a verse we always, we always hear, and we know this verse, but we don't always know it in the context. Because in verse 31 it says, 
do to others as you would have them do to you. Ooh. Now that's different. Now before we were talking about everybody else. But if you want somebody to do something to you, how do they want you, you to, them to treat you? If you ask them for something, do you want them to have an evaluation sheet and see if you check off all the marks before they help you? Is that the way? Is that your standard for yourself? No. Let's all be honest. We don't want people to evaluate us that way. Do you deserve it? Do you really need it? I mean, if, what if it was your need? When it comes to generosity, what Jesus is saying here, the first issue, isn't the person I am serving, but something else. Something totally different. The motivations this morning is something totally different. Now, the next few verses is what I want to focus our attention on today as we, as we look at this, this whole issue of, of generosity and what a disciple does and who a disciple is. Because in verse uh, 32 of Luke chapter 6, he says this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Now, he throws this thing of credit up to us. Now, what is he talking about here? He says, if you love those who love you. Now, and he says that even sinners love those who love them. I mean, you, know, you guys, let's be honest, guys and girls. The truth is, is we know people who are just downright reprobate people. But the issue is, is they probably do love those who love them. And then he says in verse 33, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. I mean, if, you know, people, evil people often do good to others who do good to them. And then he says this, and this is really gets really tough in verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lead to lend to sinners. Expecting to be repaid in full. <laughs> what in the world is Jesus talking about here? This sounds totally different than, than what we normally do things for. But then he turns it around in verse 35 and he says this. He says, but love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Jesus, hold it a second. I thought I was supposed to, do, to love those who love me. I was to do good to those who do good to me. I mean, maybe maybe I can understand it, but this last part about lending to people who cannot repay, I mean, that's just not good business sense. Because, you know, I, I want to make sure that I, you know, get something in return, the give and take. But Jesus is saying to us, when I think of serving and giving, I help people to help them get better. And if they aren't getting better, why are we doing this? I mean, that's what we say, Right. I mean, if, if I give to somebody, I expect them to get better, to something in return. And if they aren't changing, why are we doing that? If they aren't becoming more responsible, aren't we just enabling them, to use a good counseling term? Aren't we just throwing our resources away? That's the normal way we think. If I'm going to help somebody, I want to help them to change. Now, I want to say something to us here. To me and to you. That's not a bad way of thinking, okay? From a cultural standpoint. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying that as a disciple, our main motivation is to lend and to be generous and to help people because we want something in return. That's not the standard we live by. See, society's way is to say, I, I will give you something, then you must do this. 
or I'm going to because I expect you to. It's that give and take. And Jesus is saying that's not what I'm talking about. Because in the next part of the verse, in verse 35, he says this. If you do these things, he said, then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is, the, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Who are the ungrateful and the wicked he's talking about here? Oh, they're everybody else, right? Who's the ungrateful and the wicked? We can talk here in church. This is church. Okay, we can talk. Who's the ungrateful and wicked he's talking about? You take your finger and stick it in your chest. He's talking about us. You're going, oh, no. I am such a good person. I mean, you know, I have no bad motivations in my life. I always think good thoughts. Yeah. You know what a definition of wicked is? Wicked, we think wicked is pretty, pretty extreme. Maybe ungrateful. Yeah, I can understand that. But, but wicked, no, I'm not wicked. Wicked is when we know there's something that we should be doing and we don't do it. Or we know that something's wrong and we do it anyway. That is wicked. Wicked is when we know what God's word has to say and we just don't follow it. We choose not to. That's wicked. And it says here that we're to be, our reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is grateful, he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And then he says this in verse 36. He says, so be merciful just as your father is merciful. <laughs> How merciful is God to you? Now, you don't have to tell me, okay? I don't want to hear. It's between you and God. But you know that every day that God forgives you for stuff. Thoughts, actions, all kinds of stuff. And he's saying that the level of mercy, the reason we give, the reason that we're generous is not because people deserve it, because the level at which we and the measurement is not based upon whether they deserve it or not. It's the same measure that God has done for us. And how merciful is God to us? You know there's a word we use in the Christian, Christian churches called the word grace. Grace. Grace, you know what the word grace means? It means undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. Grace means that when you, if the Bible says that when we were still sinners, that when we were still wicked and we had nothing to do with God, he died for us. He sent his son to die upon a cross for us. That's the kind of the level of mercy, the level of grace that God has for me and for you. It's saying the reason that we are to do this, the reason we're to be generous is not so people, you know, the, the, the benefit is that people will change, hopefully. But that's not the reason we give. That's not the reason that we care. That's not the reason that we're generous with our stuff. It's because he says to be like the Father, and the Father is incredibly generous and merciful, he said, to be a disciple, that's what we were to be. We're to say, God, how, how merciful do you want us to be? And he says, I want you to be as merciful as I am. Okay, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Basically, it means this. And let me just kind of uh, bring it down just to, just to one sentence. 
what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And one of the things it talks about here is this, is we're to do good toward those who can't or won't do anything good for you. We're to do good toward those who can't or won't do anything good for you. It means that when we, we are generous and we, we have our, live our life with an open hand, and when we say, say, God, everything is yours, how can I live life in that way, then it, we do it because, not whether the person deserves it or whether they really even need it. And I know this is tough, folks, because we see people take advantage of us all the time. But do people ever take advantage of Jesus? I mean, have you ever said something to Jesus? Jesus, I will just do this if you'll just do this for me. And I'm sure you followed through completely. Right? I mean, like you see some internal vending machine or something. The thing is, is that we do know that this is possible because the Bible promises us that when we come to Christ, his Holy Spirit comes into us and he begins to change us from the inside out. And part of the thing it changes is our heart and is our attitude towards stuff. And we see that in the early church. The early church had this incredible reputation of being generous, even when they had very little. And we know that is true because of the influence the early church, the other Christians had. By the time 300 years had passed... And we think of 300 years as a long time, but it's a short time in length of history. By the time 300 years has passed, the influence of the Christians who had grown from a handful of people in the New Testament, they had become the most influential group in all of the Roman Empire. And Constantine, who had been one of the, one of the emperors, had actually made Christianity the, the primary religious uh, faith of the Roman Empire. But there was a couple of guys later, a couple of emperors later, one of them was named Julian, and Julian was called Julian the Apostate. I don't know exactly what that means, but he was not exactly a guy who was who was in love with Christianity. Matter of fact, he was a guy at, at 300 A.D. That, that simply said, hey, these Christians have too much influence. And what I want to do is I want to have a revival of paganism. And so what I'll do is he literally did this. He said, I will fund to build new pagan temples and to fund a pagan priesthood to raise paganism. up." So he had a campaign and. You know, go paganism, bumper stickers, and you know, and all the stuff. I don't know what you do. What he did. But anyway, he had all this stuff going on, and he was trying to do paganism. And, and the campaign and all of his funding and everything from Julian, who was the emperor, was a total flop. And in history, we have documents that say that, that how he was complaining about why this didn't work too well. And in one book I was reading, um, The Rise of Christianity, it quotes some quotes from Julian, and this is what he said. The reason that his campaign about bringing the, the, the influence of these Christians, the reason that, that they were so influential, he says this. Julian says, recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character. And then he says, even if pretended, he see, he really didn't believe it was real. He thought they were all faking it, you know. And by their benevolence towards strangers, he said, that is what I see as the main thing that causes them to be so influential. And then he went on to say, another quote, the impious Galileans, talking about the Christians, the disciples, support not only their poor, but ours as well. He's going like, how can I ever beat down these Christians if they keep being such good people and doing so many good things for people that they have this kind of reputation and not only help themselves and each other, but they help our poor people as well. I mean, how can I ever win? He's kind of frustrated. See, the, the early church took seriously the great commandment. 
And we've talked about this a couple weeks ago. They took seriously the great commandments, which says, once again, in Matthew 22, it says we're to love the Lord your God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. He said it's the first and the greatest commandment. Then he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What he was talking about and what we've talked about is that passage we talked about earlier, but people will know that you're my disciples by what? By how you love one another. And he says the main thing to do is to love God and love people. They took it seriously. They took it so seriously they had this incredible reputation. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, and I shared with you last week, that the question that we need to ask ourselves as followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, should be then, based upon that, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? See, first century Christians changed the world. Not through preaching or teaching or theology, but through their enormous generosity and by recognizing the humanity of those who live on the margins of society. And we can do the same. With a national economy in shambles right now, our light of generosity can shine even brighter than ever before. And I don't know about you, but you know, I would like our reputation, if I could, I could make the reputation and pin it and say this is what I'd hope that our reputation of Great Oaks Community Church would be. It would be a reputation like the early church. That our reputation would, would be that people outside in the community here in Germantown and Metamora and East Peoria and Washington and wherever we happen to be from, that everybody outside the church would look at Great Oaks people and would say, they would look at us and say, that is the most generous, compassionate, caring group of people that I have ever seen. I might not agree with their theology or their belief system. And some people would say, I'm not even sure about that Jesus thing. But I am so glad that they're here in this community as a group of people because they make a difference. That was the kind of influence the early church had. It was a positive influence. It was something that, and that is why Jesus says to us, he says, once you become a disciple, God wants to change your hearts. He wants to change the way we look at things and the way we hold on to things. So, what does this mean? You know, I could have preached a sermon and told you, here's the the things the Bible teaches us in regard to our giving. I could preach on tithing. It's taught clearly in Scripture. Jesus is is not an Old Testament idea. Tithing means giving 10% of your income. To God is a starting place. The reason God does that is because he wants to give us, he knows we need rules and regulations in our life because we don't do very well just kind of doing free flow stuff. And and that's the bottom line. I mean, from day one, my parents taught me that, you know, everything is God's, but you don't, God could have said, you know, I want 90% and you keep 10%, but he didn't. And, uh. So one of the things that I've done from day one is I believe that you know, one of the expressions of love and gratitude that I do to God is give back. I believe in what we do here in the community and in the world. And that's what I shared with you back a while back in the life of this church. I said to, said to us last fall, I said, you know, uh, we are going to be paying off the debt on this facility in the next few years. And it's a huge part of our, of our regular giving goes toward paying off our debt. 
And I ask the question, when we pay off our debt, what are we going to do with the extra money that we have then we pay off? Because it comes out of our regular cash flow. And I said, we have two choices. We can one, one of the choices is this. We can spend it on ourselves. We can build more facilities. We can get you some better chairs. We can do all kinds of things. Or we can be generous. We can have the heart of God. And we can spend it on people in our community, in our region, and in our world who need to know Christ and who have needs. And even if sometimes they don't always have needs, if we just need to do that, we need to express generosity because that is the greatest thing that people will look at us and say, those people are different. That's one of the things it means to be a follower of Christ is to have a generous heart. So this week I want to ask you some questions about your generosity. On the back of the bulletin insert that has the thing with, with, um, with both uh, sermon notes, and that's one of your 15 inserts this week. I know there's a lot in there this week, but uh, we had a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, I'd ask you to turn on the back of that, and I ask you to do one or two things here. I, I put down some things there. You don't have to, I don't have to uh, read all of it. Basically, what I want you to do, want you to, do to, to, to apply this is I want you to write down one or two areas of your finances in which you're having trouble fully submitting to God's leadership and control. It can be an area of tithing. It can be an area of knowing I spent too much in this area. And then what I want you to do with that sheet is throw it away. No. I want you to wrap it around your debit card. I decided the checkbooks don't work anymore. People don't write that many checks. Okay? Wrap it around your debit card. So every time you go out, you have to unfold that sheet. Because what is this? Oh, it's those things that I'm having trouble submitting to God for. It will remind you every time that, God, I want to submit these things to you, but I need your help. And I guarantee you, if you keep doing that long enough, God's going to convict you of something. Some needs. But you have to make a start. And say, God, I want to submit this to your control. And I need your help in doing that. So that's an application. It's the beginning point of being generous. So saying, God, I want to change the way I think and the way I act in regard to the stuff of life. That's just one area of being a disciple. Next week we'll talk about some other stuff. Okay? And, and I hope that uh, this week you'll take and apply these things to your lives and, and begin to work on it. Remind you that each week we do have a prayer room over here on this side. I know it's kind of a mess over there. Our students were, uh, <laughs> our students, we had a, we had a lot, uh, a retreat here this weekend and the, uh, room over that way too far. If you don't go too far, there's like still stuff everywhere. I mean, it looks like a disaster over there hit, you know, but, uh, just, you can still pray in the other room if you'd like to. There'll be someone there to talk with you after the service. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. We pray that you would allow us right now, more than anything, just to open our heart and our mind to you. That you would work in our lives to help us to, to realize that maybe one of the, the hardest areas so often for many of us as followers of Christ is to open our, our purse to you, our pocketbook to you, our, our wallet to you. To say to you, God, hey, this is a tangible thing. Because really, this is an area of trust. God, I know from personal experience over the years that just because I give doesn't make me rich in any way, but it makes me rich in a different way. And that is that I'm acting and and, uh, giving to you and trusting you, God, for the rest of everything. And I know that you've been faithful in all those things. I pray, God, that you would just help us as a church to have a reputation as people who are generous, compassionate, caring. 
And I pray, God, that you would help us to realize that that's probably the greatest influence that we will have in a world that's so skeptical so often. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in people's lives as, as we turn our lives to you, as we become disciples, followers of Christ. Help us each day to get up and say, yes, God, now what's the question? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.